Well, good morning. Uh, <clears throat> apparently, my voice doesn't want to keep up, which is <laughs> unfortunate since I keep having to be mic'd and speak to you guys. Uh, but I, uh, I do want to make a comment on one thing. I've been walking around in this shoe for weeks, right? And I'm sure the doctor would like me to sit on this stool. But if you've ever heard me or seen me preach before, you know there, that's not happening. I'm going to need a fidget in my hand or something that's going to be twice as distracting as a little hobble in my step, and I'm not going to be able to even think straight sitting down. Uh, anyone who's ha- tried to have a conversation with me is like, whoa, he's not thinking about anything necessary. So I'm going to walk around, and maybe I'll pay the price for it later, but what can I say? Today I want to start with a story. The story is not my own, but it is a true one, and it's about a young man by the name of Stretch. Stretch has turned 16 years old and he's gotten his driver's license. Big milestone, right? Many of us have gotten there or we're looking forward to it. And Stretch thinks, where's the first place I want to drive? So as his parents give him the keys to the family car, he's going to go on his his maiden voyage. And he thinks to himself, no better place than to go to church. I don't know that anything's happening there, but I got to drive somewhere. I got no place to be. So I'll drive to the church, right? So Stretch makes his way to the church, and it's shortly after school, and their church has a child care ministry that is going on. Uh, they pay some child care staff, and the leader of this comes out and sees Stretch and goes, Stretch, you have your driver's license. That's great. Uh, would you like a job? Stretch is like, Sure, why not? We just need you to come and you can help us with child care. You can already drive here. Um, and so that'd be great. And, he's, and she's like, you'd make a little bit of money. It'd be awesome. And he goes, you know what? I'd love to do that. So she leaves and she comes back in a moment with a key. Stretch at 16 years old gets a key to the church. Because she goes, sometimes you're going to have to lock up. So Stretch gets a key to the church. A couple weeks later, Stretch is working childcare, and the youth pastor approaches him and says, Stretch, you're already here a lot. Uh, How do you feel about being the guy who restocks the pop machine? He's like, I mean, I guess. And he's like, how about I sweeten up the deal a little bit, and you can drink as much Mountain Dew as you want. He's like, absolutely, I'm in. So he goes and retrieves the key to the pop machine, and now Stretch, in a matter of weeks, has received three keys that are monumentous to his experience in life. They all represent trust. His parents trusted him with the car. The child care worker trusted him with a key to the church. And the youth pastor trusted him with an unlimited supply of Mountain Dew. And, so, and then the story gets a little bit, I don't want to say emotional, but heavier as, as Stretch is at the church that day and He feels God speak to him in a distinct way, not audibly, but distinct, and just says something along the words of, you like being here, don't you, Stretch? Yeah, I do. And he felt very distinctly that day that God said, get used to it, you're going to be here a lot. And Stretch has never left church ministry from that day. Stretch was given leadership at a young age, and was given space to grow in that space. 
As you know, lately we've been talking through our series, Making Space. And specifically, we're making space for the next generation. Now, we have to be careful when we say those words because next generation does not always mean younger. Because there are a whole lot of people who are not in this room right now who are older than each and every one of us. So sometimes the next generation is just the next generation of Christians. So I don't want to get this twisted, and I don't want you to hear young Pastor Chase give you this lecture on you need to let us in. Because that's not what I'm trying to say at all. I'm saying to us, we need to find a way to let them in. So how do we do that, right? And so today, I don't bring up that story just because it's a generic story. I bring it up because it makes sense. And we're going to be talking about keys today. Do you remember the first key that you were given? It doesn't have to be a physical key. Maybe someone said, would you do this? Would you lead this thing? Maybe a teacher asked you to do a specific responsibility. Maybe your parents handed over a task and you were proud of it, right? Usually when we're handed a key of leadership, we start to take ownership in it and we're proud of it. I remember my first key, or at least the first key that I can remember, is when my church asked me to run that computer that's sitting up there and run these slides, which is a stressful job because everyone in the room is depending on you. So you know what the great idea is? Let's have a 14-year-old kid do it. I'm sure I messed up tons of times. But I clearly didn't mess up enough because then they're like, hey, do you want to move over and learn how to run the soundboard? Sure, why not? Long story short, These things have a ripple effect. And you just start taking on more and more. And all that happened before I ever took on a title like this. So none of you are off the hook. So we're looking at this idea of keychain leadership. Now, I didn't make this up. Jesus actually models this idea for us. And we find it in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus has been with his disciples, and he has a task for them to go out and do. So in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 1, it reads this. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received freely, give. That chapter actually goes on and there's more instructions, very specific things given to the disciples. Because Jesus was demonstrating this concept of handing off leadership. Often we think of the disciples as 12 guys who just followed Jesus around and helped him with stuff. Well, that wasn't Jesus' plan, so he says instead, how about I give you a little piece of the authority? So what's the first thing he he does? 
He gives them, over, he gives them authority over healing. So he gives them the, the authority to heal and he gives them the authority to drive out demons because he says, you're going to have to do this on your own. So he sends them out. He gives them this first key. He says, you guys are leaders. You're not just followers. Let's do it. And in this story, Jesus models the hardest part of keychain leadership. And for many of us, this is the part that we are going to have to stop at today because you're just like, I can't get beyond that. So I can't do any of the other steps because I can't get past the first part. The hardest part of keychain leadership is trust. Because those of us who believe that Jesus was who he says he was knows that no one could do what Jesus did. And I bet Jesus knows that no one can do what Jesus does. But instead of saying, hey, I got it. I'm going to do all the things. How about you guys go learn how to do this? Take some leadership. Be the next generation. He trusted them to go out on their own. And trust requires a couple things from us. The first is selflessness. For some of us, myself included, this is very difficult. Often the keys of leadership that we have, the things we hold onto, we hold onto very tight. Because typically we're proud of them, right? We're good at them. Maybe people give us compliments because we do these things. Maybe we get praised because of them, so we hold on to it because we own them. They're ours. But it requires us to be selfless enough to say, you know what? I own this, but I'm not allowed to be possessive with it. So we must be willing to let go of power in order to allow room for the church to grow. And the second thing is perspective which I would tell you today that I think it's the perspective that allows us to be selfless and to trust the next generation. Because perspective recognizes that key chain leadership has long-term mentality instead of short-term. Because short-term, the best should do the job today. That's it. The best person should do it today. That's short-term. Long-term is, well, if the best does it today always, there will not be another person. And if there's not another person, what's going to happen to that very thing that you own and you love and you have cherished and you've worked hard for? It's going to disappear because no one knows how to carry it. And so we have to have this perspective of knowing that there is a future for us. There's a future for the church. Many of us don't like change, myself included. And that's what makes this so hard is because we have to recognize that there is a future beyond our today. So as we continue to follow the example of Jesus, we find that he didn't send out these disciples alone. The same story happens in the gospel of Mark. The gospels have a lot of overlap. And so the same sending out of the disciples happens in Mark. So in Mark chapter six, verse seven, it says this, calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. There's an extra detail in Mark's. They went out in pairs. Now, why is this important? I think it's important because Jesus knew that leaders support other leaders. 
And he knows that they have a better chance of success if there's more of them. But rather send them out in a 12-person mob, he's like, we need to cover some more areas, so I'm going to send you out in pairs. And you two can support each other. That's probably our primary role in leadership is to support the other leaders. Because a lot of times it doesn't look like, hey, here's the keys of leadership, goodbye. Here's the keys of leadership, good luck. It more looks like, hey, I want you to hold this key someday. Let's walk through it together. Let's support each other and let's do this together. Often there's a period where we share keys of leadership before we have it for ourselves. And I might say that most times we should share it. Maybe all the time we should share it. Because a healthy church sees people for what they are passionate about and do their best to give them space to use those passions. Sometimes that's really easy. Sometimes that's really difficult. Because some people, maybe like the guy standing in front of you, talks a lot and you know exactly what they like to do. Some people are just like, yeah, I really like that thing and I really don't like that thing. And they're like, well, we won't have you in charge of that, but you want to run that thing? Some of you are not so easy. Some of you are not so open with the things that you're passionate about or with your time or your abilities. And so we need to be consciously looking because somebody who's quiet about their passions may not even see them. And we, we may need to say, hey, I think you could do this. So those of us who hold keys need to be looking out for others. What does this look like in our context? Pretty simple. It's as simple as welcoming in new leaders. Do you serve in some way? Have you ever asked somebody else if they can learn to do that as well? Seems simple enough. Anything. If you work in the cafe, if you're on this praise team, if you work in children's ministry, all of those things, you can say, would you like to learn this? Would you like to come alongside me and learn this? Because then all they have to do is say yes. It's all in their court. You have allowed space for the next generation. So are we willing to invite people into our areas of leadership? And are we willing to share the keys we hold? Because it gets difficult because there's a fact of this whole thing and it's that mistakes will be made. Errors will happen and probably mistakes that the person who's training up the next generation might not have made. Sometimes that's really hard to swallow. Sometimes it's hard to teach somebody how to do something and allow them to do it wrong for the sake of allowing them to do it. It's really easy as a leader to say, hey, I would like you to do this thing. And as it starts to fall apart, you do like one of these where you step in and take the keys back. It's why every driver ed instructor has their own brake. Because I'm not asking you to risk your lives over it. Sometimes you have to allow someone to make a mistake. You might need to allow your kid to bump something in the family car. 
You might need to allow someone to hit the wrong button in the middle of service. You might need to allow somebody to play the wrong chord on the guitar, even though you can do it. You may need to sit out there and let somebody else do the thing you're good at. And that's the hardest time. It's really easy to be like, you know what? I'm not very good at this. (laughs) Here you go. It's really hard to say, I've worked really hard to be good at this. And you're just not as good. But I have this long-term perspective that tells me that you should do the things, all the things. And so as we continue on, we see that in the example of Jesus and his disciples, there were mistakes made. In Matthew chapter 17, we find this story. It says this, When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. I find this story interesting because clearly Jesus allowed his disciples to try it first. His disciples were out doing what they were supposed to do. And this man with the son who needed healed pretty much looked at the disciples and said, can I speak to your manager? Because this ain't working out. You guys have tried. We've been praying for a while. Jesus can do it. Can we, can, can we just skip the step? And this story is interesting to me because I always feel like Jesus is really harsh. I feel like the way that it's written, and maybe this is me putting too much of my own personality into Jesus's words, but I, I hear them come to Jesus and he's like, ugh, how long do I have to deal with these guys? Jesus picked them. How long do I have to deal with you? How long do I have to be here? How long will it take before you can do it? You should be able to do it. I taught you how, I showed you how. But I think it says a lot what the next verse says, which it is this, that the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Because I think that says a lot about the relationship that Jesus and his disciples had. Because I think those disciples were embarrassed and humiliated. But rather than being like, Jesus, I don't really want to be treated like that, so I'm piecing out of here. They said, hey, teach us. And so those of us who may not hold keys or very many keys, or we may not serve in leadership, we need to be able to have that heart when someone says, do you want to learn this? To recognize that we are in fact learning. And we're going to make mistakes. But those mistakes shouldn't scare us from taking on the responsibility. Because mistakes are going to be made. Now, 
Jesus did something and showed us some things about keychain leaders. One is that they're always looking for growth. He was disappointed in his disciples because they weren't as good as he knew they could be. He saw the potential in them. And I imagine that's why he was frustrated. He's like, guys, I know you maybe better than, well, definitely better than anyone else does. You can do it. So maybe there's a little frustration. But Jesus, Jesus had to be patient with them. Because keychain leaders have to be patient. As we entrust new people with the keys that we hold, we have to be patient enough to allow them to fail and to learn and to grow. I challenge you to look back on some lessons that you've learned in life. How many of them are because you did it wrong? How many of the things you will never do wrong again are because you failed so miserably one time? How many of you have been embarrassed in a way that you're like, you know what, I learned it. I figured it out. And it sticks. Sometimes when you're naturally good at something right off the bat, you get a little cocky. And you don't really learn the lessons that you should have and you skip the steps and next thing you know, mistakes are really made. But Jesus poured into his disciples because of his long-term perspective for them. Jesus knew that at some point, they'd be the only ones here to hold the keys. Jesus knew the master plan, and so he knew he had to pass the torch in some way. So if we don't allow for this sort of keychain mentality, there will be no one to carry the leadership when you are gone. Because inevitably you will be. There will come a day where you are unable to do the thing you do right now, no matter what it is. There will come a day where that is true. It may be soon, it may be later, maybe a long way down the road, it might be tomorrow. There will come a day when you can't do it. And do you want the thing that you're so passionate about to just fall to the wayside because no one else knows how to do it? Because you loved it so much that you wouldn't share. Jesus knows he can do all the things he asked his disciples to do better and to a more grandiose amount. But he says, you know what? This isn't going to work in the long term. Because he had long-term perspective. And he lets us in on this perspective in some of the last words we have recorded that Jesus said. Right at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 28, we have something that is referred to commonly as the great commission. And why do we call it that? Because it is the calling of all of us. It's not the calling of people who are in full-time ministry. It's not the calling of people who work specific jobs. It is the calling of anyone who says, Jesus, I follow you. So if that's something you say today, Jesus is commanding you to do these things. He's just telling his 12 disciples because they were the first ones. And he says this in Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, it says, Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. 
When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Because this is really what keychain leadership is all about. Everything I've said this morning is about one concept. And it's that our role is to create more disciples, more followers of Jesus. If that's a role we claim, if that's a title we claim, our one and only task in life is to create more followers of Jesus. And step one in that is to make space for them to be a part of this thing, which is the church, which is the community of those who believe that Jesus is the son of God and that he died to save our sins. And in that we have new life. So if we want to make space for disciples of all generations, we need to get much, much, much better at empowering the next generation of leaders. Jesus did it. Jesus came to earth. He accomplished what his role was and he passed the keys on to the next generation. And because of the first passing of the keys, we're all here. We wouldn't know the story. We wouldn't have churches. We wouldn't have this community that many of us love right here. We wouldn't have it if Jesus would have just come and said, you know what? I got it. I'm Jesus. He said, no. We are the church. And the church doesn't hold tightly onto their leadership. They say, here it is. Take it. You're ready. Because if we want to make space for disciples of all generations to be here, we need to allow space for people to invest in the church. Because when people invest in the church, they're more likely to buy in. If we give up some of our shares of this place, other people will buy them up. And then they're gonna be like, wait, wait, I, I'm a part of that. I claim that. I claim Connection Point Church. I claim the church because I was given opportunity to claim some of it. And as what I believe to be a young person, some of you tell me otherwise, looking at this side of the room mostly, I can say from deep experience that I love the church because I was given opportunities to invest, lead, explore, and serve. If I would have grown up in a place that said, you know what, we got it. I bet I'd follow the trend of many people, which is you move out, you go to college, sitting in church is kind of boring, so why would I go? I could just sleep, drink my coffee, 
Next thing I know, I come home from Christmas break and my parents wonder how my faith is going and I don't even know what that word means anymore. Why? Because I just went and sat there and listened to some guy talk to me. Instead of investing and being asked to invest and being asked to be a part. So we can't wonder why people don't value the church when we don't give them an opportunity to value it. Many times we sit around and we go, hey, I just really need these young people to fall in love with the church. You know how to get them to fall in love with the church? Figuratively, walk up to them like this. I think you should hold the keys. I think you got it. So I want to conclude with a specific story. Again, not my story, but a real story of a young boy in Flint, Michigan. And this story starts with an adult named John. It's not his real name, and it doesn't matter what his real name is, but we're going to call him John today. John ran lights for a large church in Flint. This was John's role. These were the keys John held. John began to notice an 11-year-old named Justin. He began to notice that Justin is around the church a lot. And like many 11-year-olds, Justin really likes technology. He's an 11-year-old boy. And John takes an opportunity with Justin, who has idle hands and a passion for technology. So John says, Justin, I run lights here. Would you like to learn that? You're already here. Justin was like, yeah, I think that'd be fun. So began this journey of John and Justin. One, It began a friendship and a relationship. And I imagine there were days that both of them came in that day, not because they wanted to run lights, but because they wanted to see the other person. And slowly, John started to give away this task to Justin. I'm sure at first there was like, hey, if you want to just sit here and kind of watch me do it, I'll tell you what goes on. After a while, he's like, you know, these buttons over here, you got it. They run these things, you got it. Long story short, Justin got the job, essentially. And John said, you know what? I think you should run it. Do you know what happened to Justin? Justin, who made many mistakes in that specific role, was granted the Distinguished Service Award at his church at 18 years old because nobody was at the church as much as Justin was. You know why? Because a man named John said, I'd like to share my keys with you for a little bit. And actually, I'd just like to give them to you. And that church, just to show how much they embody this model, Justin now attends Olivet Nazarene University for free because his church is paying for him to go. Specific members of that church goes, you know what? You invested and now we're invested. 
because you are so a part of this that we're going to take care of you. Now, I'm not saying that if you start serving here, you're going to get free college. (laughs) One, I don't got the authority to say that. Two, I'm pretty confident it ain't happening. But I can tell you that that is what a church that makes space looks like. A church that makes space might have individuals in here that would make that commitment to Justin. So in this room, we have two types of people. Those who hold the keys and those who don't. And many of us fall in both categories, depending on what we're talking about. So to those of you who hold leadership, I ask this question. Are you willing to put your key in the hand of a new leader? Are you honestly willing to do it? Rather than this, are you willing to walk around with your key like this and say, you know what? When someone puts their hand under here, I'll drop it. And they can have it. Because God has a funny way of putting people there are ready. To it, which is my question for those of you who don't hold the key. Are you ready to take a step into leadership? What does that look like? It looks like being willing and ready so that when the opportunity arises, you can say yes. Because if you're anything like me, by default, you say no. Someone's like, hey, you want to do this? I don't know. Uh, but you can mentally prepare for that situation. So in our story with John and Justin, there were two decisions made. John said, I'm willing to hold my key out like this. When I drop it, Justin, will you catch it? And Justin said, yes. And that is how you make space for the next generation, by being willing to pass it on. So the band's going to come up, and we're going to sing one last song. And we're going to sing a song about the community that this is. That we come together, all of us who God created, to worship him. And leadership is the way we do that. So I ask you this, which decision is yours today? Is your decision to hold out the key with a loose grip and look intently for the next person to hold it? There's two steps there. You gotta look for that person. And second, if you don't have a key, are you willing to take one up and invest just a little bit more than you already do? Churches that make space for the next generation of Christians are good at handing over the keys of leadership. And will this be a place where we can say that is true? Pray with me. God, I thank you for these people and I thank you for their hearts. God, I pray that as people serve this morning, that they, they think about what their grip is like. And that they think about what their role is in making space for the next generation. And God, I pray that those people in this room that that just show up, 
and they don't know what their next step is, that they begin looking purposefully for that next step. God, I pray that this becomes a place where we are willing to hand leadership to the next generation. And know that we're doing so for the sake of your church and for your kingdom. God, I pray all this in your name.